Hello, friends. Welcome back. This is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. We are here today. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Veeam Software. So go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Check it out. All of your data protection and backup needs, whether it's on-prem, in the cloud, uh, even SaaS, back that SaaS up. Do whatever you can. So go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and it gives a little shout out. Let us know that we sent you that way. All right, this is a great conversation with Raki Parekh. Raki is the head of design at Lumosity, and we really explore a lot of really in-depth discussions around finding clarity, retaining attention, mental health, and design, and how really as a society, we're facing an interesting challenge of, of making sure we find the right balance of design and usage and attention uh, for health when using apps, especially around social media. But ultimately, Racky is just a fantastic person. Uh, it was a real pleasure to share a conversation with her. You're going to want to stick through and check this out. So with that, enjoy the show. It was a great conversation, one that you will thoroughly enjoy. Hello, my name is Racky Parekh, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. I've been very lucky today to share the microphone with uh, Rocky Parekh, who I, looking over your history in the industry, you've got a lot of the culmination of areas of study that I've personally enjoyed. And, you know, what I find is in technology, the greatest thing about technology is that it enables people to connect, to empower themselves and each other. And we have sort of this interesting capability to design towards that. And Rocky, let's have you introduce yourself and talk about where you're at today. And I really want to explore just the whole idea of, of how you've approached user experience, the difference between UX and UI and, and, and all of those things. And, and really, uh, all, there's just so much to your story we'll explore, but let's start by introducing you. <laughs> sure. Um, so my name is Raki Parekh, and I'm currently working as a product design lead at uh, Lumos Labs. You might have heard of Lumosity, the cognitive brain training app. So I'm part of the team uh, company that built that product. Um, my journey in design has actually been uh, quite interesting. Uh, I consider myself to be uh, just a creator, uh, you know, exploring the relationship between form and function. And, um, you know, in the last sort of decade, uh, I found my practice leaning more towards uh, function and uh, uh, sort of form serving the function. Uh, whereas like in the past, uh, in that spectrum, I was more on the side of form. Uh, I've worked in fashion and film as a designer in the past and sort of transitioned my way to 
building interactive products and it's been it's been an interesting uh uh you know uh journey uh as i do more of this i am really starting to like uh get a little bit more philosophical bit about like design and you know the the <laughs> the cognitive processes behind design and you know what how it serves our mind and the world it it is a, an interesting thing that a lot of things occur without us realizing what's happening behind it and then when you go to to study those things and understand how form affects function and how function affects behavior it's it's really interesting so the stuff that we just take for granted as it just occurs it just happens right there's a reason it happens everything from the way in which you read a page the way that a word on a on a bus you know uh, advertisement affects you and and why it's placed and sized a particular way all of these things are there's so much science and behavioral psychology that's buried underneath that and it's funny that we just you just look at them like oh just it looks good like well there's actually science and emotion that that come together in beautiful ways how did you how did you move from you know just being into you know product design and development into really did you begin your career studying towards that or did you kind of retroactively go back and and study the thing that you were already heading towards um i think my intention was uh to understand and engage with design more through the act of function and so i i started off with that clear intention of wanting to build products that people actually want to use and that help them and then i went on to sort of do a masters in uh new media user experience design um the 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 question that i think has stayed with me all through this time is like why do we need this and why does somebody use this why does this need to be made and i think that's kind of uh, what really drives my inquiry i like yeah yeah i like the that question is so important because so often we just yeah you know, there's you know how i how i built this and then the real question is should should i build this <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i've i've spoken with a few other folks uh as deeply in this area and my own background aside from being in technology and and a whole history of odd jobs i've done over life is i i spend a lot of time studying behavioral psychology and really dug in and and people often ask me they say what's the what's given me the most capability to help interact with with software and i said it it's understanding developmental psychology <laughs> because <laughs> understanding how you interact with the world helps you to how you understand how you interact with software and how software can create a a connection point for people in that they can reach a goal do a thing and and have a positive thing and i I hear it in everything you say even already is that how can I I do a thing that will make somebody better? Yeah, exactly. I think that that is uh that's I think that that should be the goal, right? Like uh 
how does this really impact the life of the person that's going to be using it and impact doesn't have to be some big grand thing it could be just momentary like is this making them feel better or uh you know like that's part of it but also like long-term impact i think we are starting to see that we really need to recognize uh and consider the long long-term impact and balance that with like short-term benefit because as we we are starting to see how the use of technology is affecting our minds and behaviors and uh, you know behaviors of uh, children around the world i think uh, it's good to good to learn to say no like no let's not do this um you've said yes to many things and that's great that's what's likely led us here to this you know super connected world and there's like so much information and progress in the world of education and all of that is great uh but with it like you know there's two sides to a coin and you know with it has come uh other things that we didn't know about ourselves and it has like reflected that back to us and you know it's good to now keep that in mind as we continue to move forward the very important piece of that is just that right especially it's, it's one thing you and i we are adults we've got a relative control or at least a belief in that we have relative control <laughs> over how we do things we we oh, you and i you and i know that's actually not really true that there we can still be as firm as we believe we are we can easily be we can be influenced in interesting ways but it particularly children as we look through their their course of development and how they interact with technology and how that technology interaction can impact how they interact with each other and people and adults in the world. And I think that's really the, this interesting dichotomy, as you described, like we've, we can, we've got all this amazing technology in front of us, but is it really being used as a, as a force for good? I guess, and there's a way to describe it. And there's, we'll get sort of deeper into that. I'd, if you think about something that you've designed that was really built for positive influence, like look what's going on with Lumos Labs and Lumosity and, and there, that's really, really can have a profound effect on, on people. You must, feel, you must feel good yourself when you see some of those things sort of come to market and, and see the, the outcomes that you can, you can create with people in really using technology in such a powerful way. Yeah. Um, you know, you it, it's good, like, um, you know, that you mentioned uh, Lumos. I think uh, the company is mission-driven and has strong values grounded in the culture on, like, you know, helping people uh, become a better version of themselves, helping them, uh, you know, uh, practice what they aspire to be. Um, like one of the products that we have is a meditation app. And, you know, uh, even just the simple act of being able to sit for two minutes and, you know, being, being guided to a, a better state of mind, I think can, can make a huge difference in somebody's life. And they chose to spend that time doing that versus like, 
you know, scrolling through news or social media because, and nothing's wrong with that. I think just the outcome of doing that over and over again, we're starting to see is not conducive to emotional and mental well-being. Uh, so I think like, you know, you, you don't need to do a lot, like you don't need to start thinking about, not thinking about like, business growth or profits or any of that. I think it's just about like, if you, if you focus on like just the grounding principle that like this product should have a positive impact on somebody's life, you know, you can, you can really create something that has a lot of value for people. Yeah. The, the thing that you raised there is really this, the, those two minutes can be incredibly impactful when used in a good way. And I think that's the challenge that we, we as humans, especially when we have these incredible time eating devices carried around in our pockets and, and we love this immediacy and availability of, of news and information. And at the same time, you've got the, the sort of danger that we will head into an infinite scrolling app and not only will we burn away those two minutes, but we'll potentially go beyond because we've cognitively been led to keep going. And it's our, it's in our behavior to enjoy that. That's how it works. It's great. But when you know you think about how could those two minutes or four minutes or 10 minutes be used in a more effective way, it's that's where I'm, I'm doing so much more nowadays to truly say like uh, I, it was a, a podcast. I can't remember who the co-host was. It was Sam Harris actually as a, as a podcast. Mm. And, and mm. one of the, the it, they're talking about the, the effects during quarantine. And uh, I forget her. She's a researcher. Goodness gracious. I should look it up and, and include the link in for the show notes. But she talked about this time confetti. And it's this feeling that we get these little two minutes here, four minutes there. You're, you're in a bank line, a grocery line. And the first thing you do is you, you pop out your phone and, and you scroll through these sort of infinite feed, you know, scrolling apps. And, and that has created this, that's what people believe you should do rather than perhaps just take two minutes to reflect. You know? <laughs> and and I, I think that's such a better way to, and I've done it myself, but it's, you know, how do you, how do you help people towards those goals and maybe teach them that that two minutes of reflection and thought can be better than, you know, two minutes of Instagram, which is feels spectacular at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that short term benefit. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like i'm not i'm not saying that like social media is always bad i think it's just that too much of it too much of anything is uh you know uh not conducive sometimes and the thing is like we have limited resources like the three you know three limited resources are like time energy and you know money and those are sort of like the three drivers of motivation, I think, mostly. Like, you know, you use technology primarily like, okay, does it save me time? Is it more effective? Can I do something that I used to do in a shorter period of time? Uh, does it give me like access to information that's like motivating, inspiring, or helps me, uh, you know, protect uh, 
in, in this time, the word protect comes to mind. I probably wouldn't have said that word a few months ago. Uh, and, and, you know, money, yeah. Like, the, how do you design something that makes good use of these limited resources that we have available? Because there is only 24 hours in a day, right? And that's not changing. So uh, you're not gaining any time through infinite scrolling, uh, although an illusion time has stood still but uh, actually in that engagement for like 20 30 minutes you you come out of it feeling uh cognitively drained as you said uh, a little bit so i think it like i i think a lot about like how a person what is going to be like the energetic state after using a product there's definitely a cognitive uh sort of load in making decisions on an interface or consuming content and you know uh being aware of that uh just human condition i think really helps you uh simplify the product definitely and you as you say like i i sometimes you know you have to sort of lean a little hard into the impact of things. And it's not as though social media and all these, all these things don't have a, a beautiful impact and, and opportunity for a lot of folks to, to become aware and, and connect with people and do these things. Like you said, it's just a matter of understanding the impact. In one recent conversation, ironically through Twitter that I had, <laughs> was with somebody who said that at the end of a day, of being on Zoom meetings, which quite often a lot of us do now that we're you know, remote or Zoom, Skype, meet Microsoft Teams, whatever the product is, you feel very different. Like emotionally and physically, you feel different than you would if you were sitting in a meeting room for six hours. And it's because I think first you're physically unable to move because you've probably got a laptop sitting on your lap as I do now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't move and, and you're staring at the screen continuously. So there's no turning left, turning right. You don't want to be looking away from camera because you feel it. You begin to think it's disrespectful if I'm looking around. But meanwhile, in a meeting room, you know, people are looking at the speaker, not each other. But now all of a sudden you're looking at this sort of Brady Bunch uh, view of, of 12 different people and, and then the person who's speaking pops up. And it's a very different engagement on in the way that your mind and, and your body reacts to that, that you really do need to take a break from, from everything. And, and I, I find it so much different. And, uh, you know, anyway, sorry, it's just, that's my, like a recent thing that I found that it reminded me so strongly of how digital interaction, even with people is different than in-person interactions because of the other parts of the experience, you know, the, that are physical that can affect things. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is really interesting. I'm glad you, you raised this. Um, I think like scientifically, I, I don't understand uh, what is happening, but definitely like being on Zoom has that fatigue moment. Like I've experienced it myself. I've heard like, colleagues express it like I when this thing started everybody was zooming all the time like we were doing zoom like 
family calls with like 20 people all over the world. And I was like, wow, like Zoom's found a completely new use case that they never thought they would be exploring. And it's great. Everybody's like, Zoom is like being spoken about in like school, my little niece, and everybody's like talking about Zoom and using Zoom. But now, like slowly, as we are like in this in the long term, like the Zoom calls have paused and, uh, you know, we usually like at least with your with our immediate teammates, we actually just take a call before a meeting like, hey, will phone call be sufficient? Can we just talk about this at the, over the phone and then look at a shared doc together? Or like, you know, one of the other things uh, is like turning off the self view in zoom i think has been a little bit of a relief because you're not just like you know not looking around and staring at the screen but there is this natural attraction to managing your own expressions and (laughs) yourself uh so yeah it's really interesting like how uh video while it kind of you know brings us closer together there's also it's it's uh, it's a different experience, and its subtlety is becoming almost obvious these days. If I I used to I did a lot of study around uh, like physical positioning in in meetings, and as understanding, and it's it's sort of like the idea of power positions and and the way that people engage based on their physical location relative to other people in a room in a discussion. And it's a very distinct thing around sitting at the head of the table versus sitting at the end of the table. If you sit directly beside somebody who you know you'll speak with a lot, how that engagement occurs when you physically sit opposite somebody it's, and you're uh, negotiating with them, it creates an adversarial, you know, automatically creates an adversarial focus because you're physically sitting across from each other. So there's all these ways of how physical interactions change based on positioning and now there literally is none of that and then maybe that's part of it is that literally you are feeling almost adversarial with the whole room because you are constantly just staring right in the face of of whoever's speaking and and you don't want to take your eyes off and like you said rocky you you're looking at yourself going, am I looking at the camera? Am I, do, is my hair weird? You know, like you're doing yeah. all these things <laughs> that you don't know you're doing. And when you stop and you realize it, it's, it, it can really change things, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, this, is, uh, this is a very interesting time. We are getting a chance to really uh, look back at ourselves with no escape. <laughs> and yeah. no distractions and really question like you know what we are creating and cultivating in our lives and in our world i feel like like the role of like design just you know in the context of technology uh, uh you know being part of an organization and being a designer in that organization i think it's about like uh, it's about like building bridges, right? Like you're building a bridge between what what is possible, like for uh, for an engineer, uh, you know, and from an engineering standpoint, were to what a user would like to see. You're building a bridge between like 
the business stakeholders to what like you know how a customer would want a product to work or how they would want to pay for it so and like bridge bridge for me has become like a very powerful metaphor because i i think like it's a combination of you know aesthetics it's a combination of just functionality and structural integrity but also just uh, connectedness it brings people together it gives you access from place a to place b and there's also an element of nature involved in it because you know usually bridges are built <laughs> across like waters and then you have to consider all those different geographical conditions so uh i really think uh, uh you know as a designer i think it's important for you to sometimes like raise the hard questions uh, even though they're very fundamental, they seem really like, they may seem to be really naive, but really just ask the most basic questions uh, without the jargon. That's like my new, like something I'm trying to practice where I'm like trying to drop the jargon and just speak really simply on about, uh, you know, design and design decisions and really help people build that empathy about who is actually going to be using this product. I like that you've brought up empathy and also something that, especially in the situation in the world where we've seen an incredible change in the way that people view the, their personal impact and the world's impact on them, that empathy is such a strong part of how we can better engage better communicate and what's what's also frightening at the same time is in the same way that sort of the surveillance capitalism side of of technology has has become a, a an unfortunately strong you know part of the industry is the sudden belief that they're like look we need to to put more empathy into our communication I said, well no no what you need to do is you need to be empathetic which will come out in the way that you communicate and thus will come out in the way that you write. <laughs> it, empathy is not a dialect. It's, <laughs> it, it's a behavior. And I have seen though a very positive impact that people have really s sort of slowed down, uh, stopped to reflect, you know, on, you know, am I, is this, does this need to be done right now? It is kind of nice. I think that we've, hopefully slowed the world down a little bit uh obviously financially it's been very difficult you know it's, yes <laughs> but i believe if we take the things that we've learned in the recent you know weeks and, and months can we take the good things from that as lessons into you know sort of this next phase of you know, heading back towards more towards where we were. I don't want to say normal or whatever, but to say more towards the way we were. Um, but I, I hope we don't just go rocketing right back to, you know, just piling into a subway and, and not caring about anybody else and just want to be there first. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is really, this, 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 uh, episode is really shining a light on how connected we are whether we know it or we don't we recognize it or we don't how much we can affect each other um and also it's this idea of uh 
you know, what's important, what needs to be done now, and just focus on health and well-being, uh, not just your own, but just sort of like your community and like your society. We each have to take responsibility for our own uh, actions and well-being because it just, it doesn't just affect you anymore. It affects the people you live with and, you know, your your apartment building or your like neighbors, you know? It, it really did open up an understanding of our capability to impact other people through our direct actions. And it's, and it, it, the, the other thing, like I said, I hope that we do as a society is to study what's occurred. And, you know, with that, I really want to talk about, you know, what you've worked with, with the human cognition project because not just doing a thing that has a an impact on the ability for an application to be adopted or certain things to be occurred, right? But your your team very genuinely is feeding back into research teams as a beautiful bi-directional feed in order to say, you know, here's what's working, here what can work. And I'd, I'd love to hear how you how that came about and what are your interactions with with that whole project. Yeah, I think that that is something that, uh, you know, um, it's really uh, a great way for a tech company to give back to science and, you know, progress. Uh, the Human Cognition Project existed, I think that has been like around for a long time. Uh, I have I, will, I am not directly involved with it. However, it's kind of like I said, it's like a cultural pillar in terms of how we think about uh, using the products and building the products and uh, you know giving back to science and uh, using that as like a feedback loop uh, to learn more about ourselves and help uh, the science community. It, it is such a a good feeling to be able to to both learn and to feedback and and create that that feedback loop, and I think of of other sort of leaders in in the space as well. I mean, one of the most uh, you know strongest voices uh, is is Tristan Harris, who had been a designer uh, in I think it was at Google, and has has built this idea of of a foundation, you know, to make sure that how can we do things better and the idea of as a as an open project you know can we work better and so there there's uh, it's called the center for humane uh, technology and really we've got such a capability to do good things uh, but yeah are we at risk of you know people have have done really well they've said hey we know how to how to to influence behavior and and that's good, except <laughs> <laughs> it's not always used for good, sadly. And and you know, I, who Rocky do you look to in the industry as sort of your inspiration to how you would like to achieve that next thing or or to have this positive impact? Or who are the folks that you look around to when when you're looking for inspiration? Um, I. 
I have been for a long time, ever since I started studying this, like been a big fan of uh, looking to the ideas that uh, Golden Krishna, uh, I, he's a designer at Samsung now, I think, uh, talks about this idea of no interface. Uh, and that doesn't mean that like, there should be no interface, but just this idea is that like, we've come to that point where everything just starts with the screen and you're really not thinking about what is really needed and does this even need to be on the phone or what are some other ways we can we can create this experience for people because experience on its own is, is uh, you know, sensory uh, input and uh, technology has its limitation where it's like only two senses, I think you can engage three senses, right? You can engage the sense of sound, uh, sight and touch. But this idea of movement and this idea of uh, uh, being able to smell things and uh, how do you sort of create experiences that are just like broken out of the phone or that are multi-dimensional. I think a lot about like multi-sensory experiences myself uh, in, you know, when I was, uh, when I was uh, working on my thesis project, uh, it was uh, a product to create, uh, to, to collab for collaborative brainstorming and uh, uh, you know, I explored the idea of using gesture interface because the idea of like collaborating visual thinking, how there's a lot of like, uh, you know, things that you do with your hand, you cut pictures, you draw, write big notes and, you know, you're moving things around to connect them. So that, that, that experience, the somatic experience of doing stuff with your hand is really part of that. Uh, creative process so how like you know how can we like think beyond uh, the phone itself uh, where phone is part of it um, if it needs to be but what are some other ways to really uh, create uh, into an experience and why why are we using a certain technology platform to do that when you think about that I mean spatial uh, interactions and computing, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. So much has been done, uh, but we are very early on the the curve uh, for it being broadly adopted. There's there's interesting specific cases where it's it can be well used. It's that you actually bring up a good one, right? This is the if you look at the way that you physically interact through this process and how it can enhance the experience, right? Like it can enhance the outcome or the speed to the outcome really is it, uh, you know, versus forcibly making somebody do a thing in order to, to create the interaction. It's very much taking that interaction that's already occurring and representing it through spatial computing. It's a, it's a very interesting thing. Where do you think we are? I think as, as a society and as technologists in adoption and creation of good AR and VR as a part of this whole process? I think uh, there's, there's definitely some interesting explorations in the VR world. Uh, uh, some of the museum exhibits that I have seen are, are interesting using like Microsoft Surface, uh, using some of the 
I'm trying to remember where, but I did see like an interesting like holographic uh, representation of a jellyfish. I think it was the Monterey Bay Aquarium or um, yeah, I, I can't remember where it was, but I think like, you know, the, in the in the art world, uh, there's some really cool explorations happening. But like you said, it's also the scalability that is still something that we need to explore how scalable these experiences are and where do they actually make sense. Yeah, the the funny thing is that we we see this and even like when you see it represented in you know people you know do like stock art and it's you'll see somebody like somebody sitting in a room you know with this vr headset on and it's like them sitting cross-legged and their view is you know sitting uh in nepal and you're like this is such a dichotomy (laughs) (laughs) the whole purpose of this person sitting down (laughs) meditating was to literally experience the world directly around them (laughs) (laughs) which i i don't know i'm always i'm torn with some things like that because it's it does open up beautiful possibilities, but sometimes just a physical piece of paper or just sitting in a in a in a slightly darkened room with a candle lit, it can just regard it, that is really the the sensory experience you need in order to get better, to settle your minds, to achieve this next sort of unlocking of things. It's I, I do like the idea, but it, I worry that VR will become the next eight hours of Zoom meetings where we will be overly engaged and it can be cognitively tiring and, and you know, potentially negative. Yeah, I agree with you. I, like my, my experiences with VR have been like not so comfortable, <laughs> just uh, physically, right? It's, it can be quite disorienting uh, for the mind and body. I guess what I was going with this is sort of like thinking about just simplifying the the need and really the problem uh, and not like you know we we talk about human first and you know designing for people but there's still like technology first that happens sometimes especially when you're working through like innovations new new emerging technologies such as vr and ar i think uh, it still starts with the capability of technology, which is great, but I think uh, that's okay because that's kind of what drives progress. I think having a designer involved really early on on what is a, what is a fruitful use of this technology and you know how does this affect the people using it would be where I would where I would go. There's a there's a nonprofit organization here in San Francisco that's called Gray Area that does some really interesting uh, collaborations between technologists and artists and, you know, people coming from different uh, fields uh, to create, they they primarily create a lot of art experiences, but I think it's uh, it's a good place to start because when people come with different perspectives, they really bring with them different questions that can really help go beyond like, oh, wow, this thing can do this. So let's just like make this and, you know, just really uh, make richer decisions versus like the first most obvious idea. 
it's interesting that you say that, Rocky, because I think of you, you, you mentioned it before, right? You have to come take the, the jargon out of it and ask the simple fundamental questions. And we often get so deep into it ourselves when we're involved and we've already made, we, we bring cognitive biases into our questions when we're already, we're always generally leaning towards the outcome that we hope we get to. <laughs> it's versus yeah. somebody that has, has no, they have no, you know, connection to it. And they walk in and they would ask sometimes the simplest thing and, and just you know, a room of designers or, or builders will look at them and say, why don't we think of that? You're right. <laughs> it should be over here or we shouldn't do this. Like, I think that is neat that we can, you know, invite others to come towards it and they don't have any of the biases baked into them or the experiences. And then you get a very raw reactive set of questions that come and, and sometimes they're, they're the ones that need to be asked. And sometimes they're tough ones because you're like, Oh boy, you know, we were, we're way over, you know, we're, we should be oversimplifying instead of we're creating complexity as a service. It's, it feels like. Something. Yes. <laughs> yep. Sometimes I think it is like, you know, um, it's, it's self-serving, I think. Uh, it's not, I feel like we look at things so, uh, so much in detail and we really just zoom, zoom in so much that it almost becomes a disadvantage because when you actually watch people interacting with products, it's fleeting. It's, in, it's just like instinctive. We are not zooming in so much into like, why is this this way? Why has this been put here? What else is possible? I feel like uh, being able to just zoom in for the sake of create of of just your craft and being able to develop that, but also being able to just zoom out from it and be totally looking at it with like beginner's eyes, which is really hard to do when you're really close to the product. And you're you're thinking about it day and night, but recognizing that like people people are not people don't have that point of view who you are actually designing for. Well, that's it. It's we we begin to our goals are not set on the right you know path because we've we're just we we set this end state and then we must bake in you know, the, the biases and confirmation in order to head towards that thing. But sometimes, yeah, it's just, you have to detach, simplify. And even in communication, you hear, a, there was a, I, I can't recall which book it was. They talked about the idea that in an emergency, it was a, a, a flight that was in, in, in trouble. Uh, and uh, somebody who is a, a pilot, he was in the, in the plane, walks to the front, says, I'm a pilot, I've got this much experience, uh, I can help if you need it. And, and they, they invited him to the cockpit. They had, had lost from their crew members and they said, you know, we, and he just said, uh, what do you need me to do? And they said, you know, take the chair. And, and from that point on, just even the way that he approached the question is, what do you need me to do? And they said the communication was, was almost guttural. It was just like you know, 49 check. Okay. Yeah. Check left wing yep, low. And like everything was very immediate. No, 
long, you know, drawn out sentences that sound like they're wrapped in legalese for terms and conditions. <laughs> it was just very much, what's the state of this? And, and that was it. And they knew in this sudden moment that they, they could react instinctively that way. And it's so funny that when you hear humans, uh, people communicate in general, the more they're concerned about stuff, quite often the more long-winded they get. Like we start to use these big words, you know, like in an interview and like the, <laughs> sometimes we just, just say yes, say, no, I, I haven't had that experience myself, but I'd like to, you know, so this, rather than, well, hitherto and wherefore under and, and in previous experiences, <laughs> like, how about just like, I have not personally explored that, uh, but I'd be excited to do that with your team. How often have you done that? And now actually creating an interaction instead of a dissertation, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've all been in, you know, situations where somebody, you know, folks, people, I, I think people have the best intentions and they really mean well because they want to share their knowledge and their deep understanding that they have cultivated and invested their time in. Uh, but, you know, like, then the question is like, okay, so what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you've probably had this even if you speak at events or you've seen it in her curl these times right when someone whenever there's like a q a you know and someone you know raises their hand and said i've got a question and you almost want to say well actually what you've got is a three-minute statement that you're going to use this moment and, and phrase it as a question so that it's it, but that's often what it is it's it's somebody that you know and rightly so they want to have a voice and they want to bring that to the audience but it's so funny that we often misuse those chances for interaction. And even in the same way too, when we, we like we talked about that, the two minutes, right? If you have two minutes, we are grossly misusing many two minute blocks of your day. And, you know, how do you bring that to yourself? You know, where, where if you, if you said, all right, Iraqi has earned her two minutes, what, what's the way that you, you would use that well? I think, um, you know, I, I am, uh, I think I'm like a lifelong student. I always joke if somebody paid my bills, I would just continue to be in school. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and it doesn't like, you know, not all learning is towards design. I think, however, like what I love about design is that, everything can be at the same time. So I, I use my time like to learn just different things to express myself, my, like I have things that I call my life practices and uh, usually they take up most of my free time. Um, and some of that is, uh, you know, like wisdom practices like yoga and meditation. And I've been doing this for, uh, over a decade. And I think that was also part of the reason that I joined Lumosity because it really um, spoke to what my personal uh, life uh, learning is about. Um, other than that, it's like, you know, playing with a cat. Or <laughs> <just> <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and I love that. I love the honesty, right? We, 
you, we often look, you're like, oh, you know, uh, it, if Gandhi had a cell phone, he probably would have said a lot less quotable things, right? <laughs> if yeah. <laughs> we, we, there's, but there's nothing wrong with, you know, using technology, using other, it, it's, it, it's never, it doesn't have to be like, I must spend this much time a day in meditation. I must spend this too much time a day in exercise. I, I do, I like cycling and, and I, I run just because it's hard to carry a bike when you travel a lot. So I, I started running uh, just to help to you know, keep my mind and, and my body fit. And I find that those are beautiful moments for me to like unlocks creativity because all of a sudden you can have no, nobody can interact with you. It's, it's, so you're on your own and, and you get very introspective, which is cool because then as soon as I start that, it's like, oh, I can really enter into this kind of like, almost like a deep work state, but then I can't interact with anything. So it just takes you further and further into this, almost like a meditative state versus like, if I'm sitting in my home, I can't. I can't just shut down and meditate. I'm the worst at it. I don't know what the, <laughs> I, I, th I think I'm broken sometimes because it just, I often feel like, oh, I could, I could be doing another thing or, or reading more or listening to an audio book. And, and I have trouble with that. So how, how has yoga and your meditative practices kind of influenced how you, you know, spend a day or portions of a day and, and even in a week? Because how do you, when do you know that you need it? And, and when do you know that it's just kind of a, a thing in practice? Um, you know, uh, I think it's about building the right, like, habits and rituals so that, like, your instincts start changing. Um, uh, I don't, like, maybe this has happened to you as well, like, when you start, to, you know, when you started to run and then, you know, you did it so often that now even if you don't do it your body wants you to run right like you don't do it for a couple of days and you just start feeling it like in your body like oh i need to go for a run and your mind is also like okay you know i need to i need that space right. <laughs> and you know then you have like this biofeedback that's really what drives people to do things and then you you start doing that and i think part of like cultivating any practice like i think uh, it starts with like a level of curiosity or just a simple need. Like when I started yoga, I was just like, I need, I was never exercising. This is like, I needed to do something. So I'm going to do this. And then, you know, I started doing it and I, I started to see how, you know, I, I started to feel healthier and then it just kind of, uh, you know, uh, going setting, like, you know, going, I, I like going for class because I think it gives me that community, the structure. Uh, and like I said, I'm like a learner. So for me, that progression of my level of understanding of a subject is most motivating to me. So, uh, you know, learning from somebody who spends a lot more time thinking and doing this than I do is valuable to me. So I go for classes. And before I knew it, it was just like, something I did and just the other day I was like talking to my partner and I was like okay so I want to calculate how many hours have I spent in my entire life like practicing yoga and how much does that relate to like how many years does that make <laughs> <laughs> that's how much time I have right now but I think it's it's a good inquiry because now I think it is like you know, I went through that phase where it was like, okay, what can yoga do for me? And now I'm like, 
what is yoga and you know slowly it's just like this is just what i do like they drop everything else like you strip out everything else from your life and then what is it that you do um and like for me that is what i would do because like there's no there is benefit but there is no expectation of a benefit uh just in the doing of it is uh you know fulfilling enough i would say it's interesting that you bring that up because it's it is the i i, I think of continuous optimization as a a larger optimization is made up of of repetitive local optimizations right and mm. and it's that re, that thing of that's how habits get formed right it, you don't you don't get strong by okay today i'm going to work out for 8 hours and i'm going to cons- i'm going to be 8 hours you know stronger but no you're you're probably going to end up in the hospital because you'll you'll do damage to your body but if you you like sort of micro doses of positive you know, it's, it's reinforcement, it's habit that you create. And then, and it's the fun part is going back and saying, okay, who, how many hours have I spent this year on a bicycle? And it would, I would, I would probably frown if I realized, how <laughs> but I, I, but it makes me feel good mentally, physically. Uh, you know, it has had an incredible positive experience. And some, I get asked all the time, people say like, oh, you're one of those fitness people. I'm like, oh, you're those people that don't want to die in their forties. Yes, that's one. I'm one of those fitness people. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting genetics. You know that I'm, I, I don't want to. This is a way that I keep healthy. Uh, you know, for no other purpose. I don't do it competitively at this point, and and it's just do it for enjoyment. But as you said, like it's a, a little here and a little there. And when I coach people on getting started with anything, you know, even if it's like writing or or push-ups, you know. The hardest thing to do for us is to actually phase it in. We as humans just love just taking a big bite. And yes. Think, <laughs> and that's the concern. So when I help coach people on like, I'm going to get you to 100 push-ups, where you can do 100 push-ups in a single session. And they say, okay, perfect. So should I start by like seeing how many I can do? I said, no, I need you to do one and stop. And then call me tomorrow. And, and they're like, what's good is that going to do? I said, believe me. In 38 days, you're going to do 100 push-ups in a row. Start with one today. <laughs> and <laughs> it's such a, it's so hard to, to phase it that way because our, we just want to do more, faster, better, get there quicker. And, but then I teach them, I said, at the end of it, you're going to look back and say, oh my, you know, I can't believe I started with one and now I can do 100 in a row and, and, and it does work in its favor. So when you... When you began yoga, did you did you overindulge early? Like when you create habits, how do you how do you create your own personal habits? Um, I think that's a really good question. I think habit uh, formation is or habit creation and cultivation is such a uh, it's a big part of my thinking right now, just for my own like personal development, but also just thinking about like designing products that help people build better habits uh, because everybody's like we are aspire right to to become a better version of ourselves and you know habits definitely help i think uh, i i try to 
design my environment a lot to remind me of my goals. Um, for example, I like I think my my night self is so much more uh, <laughs> brave and optimistic about doing stuff, but my morning self is not. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> the morning self disagrees with the evening self quite often. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so for years, I've wanted to like wake up early and you know do some of my practices in the morning and kind of start my day and. I, you know, I couldn't do it for many years because I'm a morning sleeper. I get my best sleep like after six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so um, now what I do is what has really helped is I just keep my phone far away from me in the living room, uh, deep in the kitchen, right next to my jug of water, which is filled up in the night. And so when I wake up in the morning, I have to go all the way out and then turn off. And then I'm like, wait, I spent all this activation energy to get out of bed and do this. And now I can't just go back to sleep. So that helps. I'll leave, And then I'll still fall off sometimes and I'll leave little post-its for myself on my phone that says, good morning. <laughs> and, uh-huh. You know, you will feel better if you wake up now. <laughs> and so that's like the night self talking to the morning self. Um, and, you know, now it, I've started to really see a correlation between how my day is when I wake up and when I don't. Um, and I allow myself like one cheat day, like Saturday, I just sleep in because I just love the idea of not having to wake up to an alarm clock. So I'll sleep in on Saturday. Um, and micro, micro things, right? Like give yourself just a little, okay, I'll just like sit and have this glass of water and then I can go back to snooze. So allow yourself to... Uh, give yourself a little bit of a room because I feel like if I kind of get too strict on myself, then I just rebel with my own self. Well, that's an important part of the, you know, motivation and and feedback where if you, if you set in, you know, it's not that we shouldn't set stretch goals, but what we shouldn't, what we need to do is stretch the, set the path towards the stretch goal. And, And that path has to be marked by, achievable things and, and even the smallest little micro improvement you can make will ultimately lead to those greater single day improvements or, or, or whatnot. And that's it, right? Is that I've, I've gotten in my own habit where I just, I'll, I'll just call my wife and everything. We call it no social. All of a sudden we're just like, we, we just pick a day sometimes to say hashtag no social. That's it. Phone goes down no social media for 24 hours mm. and it's a uh, to the at first it was like oh what if i'm people are trying to get a hold of me or whatever and and i realized that it, it doesn't they're they're still there <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the beauty that's the beauty of these asynchronous communication methods is that we can still you know let it occur don't feel the need to pull down and refresh don't feel the need to check work email I still do. I work in a startup, for goodness sakes. I, I, I interact far more with my colleagues than I would have at any company in the past, and I love it. I personally get enjoyment out of that experience, and I've chosen to embrace that. But I also recognize that there has to be trade-offs in other ways where suddenly, you know, I'll just take a, you know, Monday mornings, I, I don't allow meetings. I don't allow anything. That's me planning my week. 
doing things and and then I set one you know one freebie every week I get to just just call no meeting and then go for a run and it's not scheduled I just leave a few gaps in my calendar to make sure and then I say you know all right hashtag going running right like that's it yeah. all right this is it and I joke saying it's like hashtag because that's how we have to kind of behave ourselves like that's how we learn to interact with systems and it's so that's my that's my human system right it's i i know that i just have to i have to feel like i'm playing hooky from it and it makes you love it when you go back to it so when i go when i get back from a run i'm far more productive than if i just sat down for that whole time wishing that i'd been going out and then working through it and i'll you know it, it's an interesting just a, again, my own personal behavioral learnings I've found in, in doing this. And, you know, it's, and it's person by person. Like you said, if I, if I read or, or listen to, you know, folks like Jocko Willink, who's like every morning, he just Instagrams his watch that just is like 431. I'm like, that's great. You're a seal. Love it. Not for me, right? You know, David Goggins, another fantastic motivational person. His story is incredible. And I, I watch his Instagram and I'm like, oh man, just, just put your shirt on and sit down. It's all good. Like you don't need to be running for 17 hours a day. That's his thing. So I enjoy the motivation of that, but I also recognize it's, it's dangerous sometimes when we see these overly motivated things. And like you said, Rocky is like, you you then set yourself up for potential risk and failure, of, and you'll just detach from the goal because you'll be like, if I can't do it for four hours, then there's no point in doing it. Well, what if we could just do it for 20 minutes? Maybe that's actually not so bad. Yeah, exactly. I think that I think it's like this whole yeah to add to what you were saying, like you know, hashtag. I think this whole idea of like hacking your life and your behaviors i think like knowing where your pitfalls are planning for that but also you know this idea of like self-compassion like literally like becoming your own mother and watching out for your own well-being and knowing where you are like you know when you need the time you just relax the rules a little bit for yourself and give yourself that that free day to like there are times when i'm like just overwhelmed with like all these different things I'm learning and doing and practicing and attending to that I just like I'm like okay today I'm just going to I'm so tired and I'm going to listen to that I'm just going to lay in bed and read a story and I'll do that right and I think like it's important to answer to the moment as well like to create these rituals and also break them sometimes yeah, because we, we would become often slaves to the ritual and the timing. And, and that's where, and I, and that's why, so the, like I said, I, I, I get very stressed out. You know, I, I experience anxiety when I think about meditating just because I think, am I going to do it right? I don't know how to breathe. I'm not sure what to do. Am I wasting my time? And like I start thinking about things and my mind begins to race, which is great for unlocking creative things. But I, I get sort of get torn versus when I'm running or biking, that physical habit is just, it's inborn. Like at this point, I, I, so the moment that I do this, I just, my mind goes into a different place. And then my creativity and my freedom of thinking very, very quickly unlocks. 
Not, for me, I guess that's my meditative state. I've, I figured that out. Now, how do you, so how does spirituality and technology come together? And what do you think that we can do really to bring those two worlds into, into one place or closer to each other? Yeah, I think that that is sort of uh, a, a million dollar question for my life, I think. Uh, we, I, you know, spirituality is a, a pretty uh, loaded word. I think a lot of people, uh, there's this idea of, uh, you know, sometimes it can be tied to this idea of faith and religion and all of these other things from the past that come into it, beliefs and, um, you know, letting go. And then technology is this idea of like being productive and being effective and information. And I think uh, the way, let's see. So if we, if we kind of think about it as, a collective and how much like technology has enabled spirituality to become, uh, you know, just everywhere. I think that's great. I think that has been a boon of technology where these teachings are now accessible to everybody, right? Like in the past, you had to literally like go and live in the mountains and then like find the teacher and have them teach you this. and. Like now, uh, you know, uh, since we've gone into shelter in place, I have been, my yoga practice has been the same because we do it on Zoom now. Like what a blessing. And now I have access to more teachers than I had before because I can join Zoom. Uh, you know, I can Zoom in with uh, teachers all around the world. So it's great. So I think technology is really sort of taking spirituality and making it really mainstream. And my, my, my uh, definition of spirituality is just sort of like living in sync with like the universal laws of nature and being more aware and learning to observe yourself um, in a kind way. Uh, so I feel like now that technology has enabled spirituality, has also cultivated behaviors that go away from us wanting to be that person that we see we could be or that we are learning that we could be reading about it. So I think like there's this connection that we have to technology and it's about like cultivating products and experiences and, and uses of technology that would empower that aspiration um, and not feed the, the sort of the uh, habitual behaviors that are going against the aspirations. Yeah, the sadly, bad habits are also habits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they seem to be much easier to acquire than the good ones. <laughs> yeah, I just read recently somewhere like, um uh you know about sometimes it's it's not about how much more you can do it's just about what you don't need to do i think even if you just think about that 
like you can have a big impact on your goals and aspirations. And I think uh, this is a really neat one. And I I recently listened to an older podcast. Uh, It was actually a Y Combinator podcast and featured Jack Dorsey. And this was a, a much younger Jack Dorsey who didn't have a, you know, a few billion people on his platform trying to, you know, to have, you know, so he, he had a very sort of very fundamental view of what he had, you know, he, and it was neat that his focus was very much inward and like trying to become a, a leader. And he had just become the CEO of, of Twitter and, and, you know, and, and Stripe and all stuff was going on. But at any rate, what he said was he creates a list and he looks at it every morning and every night in reflection. And it's called do's, don'ts. And it was a beautiful sort of very just simple list of do, you know, engage with the people, right? Do, what are these like five or six or however many do's that you should do every day, small things. And he said, equally important was the don'ts, you know, don't, don't dismiss somebody because you don't know them. Don't use short terse phrasing in email. And it, it was like things that evolve gently you know, over time and using them. And, and it was really neat. And I think that's important, uh, Rocky, as you said, like it's, not, it's really recognizing what we can, what we should do, what we can do, and then recognizing where here's the things where we should move away from. And, and they're learned and they're evolved. And that's what I hope people, luckily I'm, I'm old 20 year old me would have had none of this, you know, in his mind. <laughs> I, I don't know. I always say like, what would you do if you could re- meet your 20 year old self? My 20 year old self would have probably told me to go away, old man. <laughs> I don't have time for your weird, your weird wisdom. <laughs> I think like, you know, I was just doing some research for a project and I learned that that biologically we, our values change as we recognize the, our mortality, right? Like as you grow older and you realize you don't have so much time, you, you, you will choose different emotions. You will choose different things. So I think like nature is like designed us to make better choices as we grow up. <laughs> so we can be thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and you know, in, in a thing that I always like to as difficult as any moment is and why I do like to use moments to think positively and, and look towards the things we're achieving that are good and how we can take that time to affect other people is if we look over the course of time and my, one of my great philosopher Kings is actually Penn Jillette of the magic para, uh, pen and pen and teller. And he says, two things are invariably true. The world is getting better and everybody thinks it's getting worse. And sometimes, you know, the immediacy and availability of information is not necessary. And it's beautiful to close it up for a little bit here train the brain, uh, train ourselves, whether it's meditation, yoga, running, reading, or just getting up, going to get a glass of water and reading that sticky note that we left ourselves the night before. But it can have a profound effect in, in the simplest, smallest things. And, and with that, you know, Raki, I want to thank you very much for, for sharing your stories today. It's really, these are good lessons. And I think I, I do hope that people 
take them in and and can put these practices in small ways into themselves every day. And, and as we think about design process, I, sadly, I guess we didn't, I, I feel bad. I, I stole this time about sort of personal enlightenment and we didn't really go much into product, but you know, I'd actually love to reconnect again in, in the future because I really do, as we get through these things and you take these practices and apply them into systems and design thinking, there's probably all sorts of nuances that, we can, we will learn, especially from this big event, you know, in, in, in the world and say, okay, if I had to take this product and design it now versus how I thought I was on the path a year ago, how would it differ? And, and how have the inputs changed? Like you said about, you know, the, the, the things have changed and, and now is the time to let, sort of take that in like 20 year old, 20 year old us would not have listened to, to this age of us and, and, and spent the time to, take it in but you know here we are we have a chance at at everyone's age and we have a chance to interact with ourselves in in neat ways every day yeah definitely it was a wonderful conversation eric uh it's interesting uh that you mentioned that because i was i was just reflecting on the conversation and i was like oh this took a personal turn um and i was wondering if you got what you were looking for uh so I, I hope you, you got a good episode in, but I, and I would love to talk a little bit more about design and, you know, um, how, how uh, you know, habits and, you know, um, our experience, uh, this, this dramatic event and how all of those sort of uh, affect, that's exactly what the question I'm thinking about right now, because I've been doing user research and everybody's mind is on, um, how uh, you know they're using this time and how social distancing is affecting their life. And um, I was thinking like, okay, how will these people respond to this if we were outside of this? And how would, uh, how would I let this event uh, you know, affect my decisions that I would make otherwise? It will be uh, it will be good lessons, and so yeah, we'll definitely we'll reconnect. I think this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. If folks want to reach you, uh, Rocky, how what's the best way to to connect with you uh, through whatever platforms you you uh, you have available? Uh, I am on Twitter, hello underscore Rocky. That's R A K H I. Um, I am also on Instagram. That's the R A K H I, and yeah, I think you must have are... had a good friend at Instagram to get that handle because <laughs> you got to be an early adopter. It, it was actually funny. One of the things that I call on often when I talk about design, and, and I'm sure that's one that you've had asked of you, and you, you may have seen as well. Is there's a series called Abstract on Netflix, and and one of the ones that I so thoroughly enjoyed is is actually ian spelter's episode about designing the instagram his work at, at instagram and it's it's really neat it's a i found it's a very it's a very beautiful way they've done the series and they talk about each one is a sort of fundamental design but uh well like i said i i will we will definitely have a chance to talk further very much more in the technology space but we'll we'll learn you know how will this affect what we can do and, and what can we do to bring positivity through this experience and towards creating a good experience in future for people. Uh, and and I, I applaud you for, for the work that you and your team are doing. Uh, so thank you for spending the time with us today. Of course, thank you so much, Eric. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And one correction, actually, yeah, 
I haven't looked at my Instagram handle in a while. It's actually Rocky Rocks. Oh, <laughs> that is <laughs> probably even harder to get, uh, but uh, very cool. There we go. I love it. Well, thank you, Rocky. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you so much. You, you take care and stay safe, Eric. Thank you.